0: Hi everybody, thank you for listening. My name is uh, Gil Kidron. I'm recording this about 18 months after this episode was posted. And I'm adding this little part because I just posted episode number 45. This is episode 1, right? And in episode 45, I found who was the person who wrote this creation story of Genesis. The world being created, the universe being created in six days, and resting on the seventh day. I didn't know who wrote this story when this episode was recorded. I never even thought to look for him. Never even occurred to me that it's even possible to find uh, a biblical author. But this uh, podcast is, uh, you know, has been and is still an ongoing journey, going over the biblical stories in the order that they appear in the Bible. But it's only near the conclusion of the episodes about Genesis that I realized what this podcast is actually about. It's about the stories of the Hebrew Bible and the people who wrote them. The stories of the Hebrew Bible and the people who wrote them. As the time of this recording, this podcast identified two biblical authors by name, and three more by when and where they lived and to which political faction they belonged to. It sounds impossible, I know, but if you follow this journey, episode by episode, you will see for yourself how it's not only possible, but extremely plausible and uh, sensible. No Da Vinci code stuff or heavy biblical scholarship. No, no, no. There's no need for that. There is so much we can uncover about a writer by going over the stories they wrote. The stories are very, very revealing. So as with any podcast, this one too had to come into its own. Uh, it's fun from the beginning. I, I do counsel uh, patience in going over these episodes one by one, not skipping them, because uh, that way the payoff is greater when it gets to actually pointing fingers at actual people who actually lived and most probably wrote these stories, including the person who wrote the creation story of Genesis. That's wild, but you know what? I just re-listened to the episode you're going to listen to now, and. The way we break down the perspective of the writer, that's it. That's it. In episode 45, I have his name, but his personality, his inclinations, his imagination, it's all here in this episode. So I hope you will enjoy this episode and that you will keep listening all the way to when the dominoes start falling, because this podcast is just getting started. See you on the other side. Hello everybody and welcome to a podcast of Biblical Proportions. Episode 1, the first creation story. The Bible is the number one best-selling book ever. And the Bible's creation story might well be the most well-known and iconic story ever told by humans. Most people living today around the world have probably heard of it, even though it's in a 2,500-year-old ancient book called Genesis. The first words of the Bible are maybe the most famous part of the whole book. In Hebrew, In English, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning. This is the beginning of the story the beginning of the book, and the beginning of our podcast. Thank you for listening. Hi, Omri Hi, Gil. So what we want to do in this podcast is give a fresh perspective, a new perspective about these world-famous, historically famous stories. And we start at the beginning with the creation story. Mm -hmm. So let's start with a short recap. God created the world methodically in six days, the day and night, the sun and the moon, the vegetation, the the wild animals, then the livestock, and then the humans. It says in English that God created the world in Hebrew. There's another word, Elohim. Mm -hmm. This is the word we use today for God. But as we'll soon
1: see in this episode, there's a lot more to uncover underneath. The thing that I like most about this story The fact that God creates the world, the universe, as we imagine it, his action is not like raising a hand or like a a very strong and muscly action. Mm -hmm. It's using a word. Yes. They had this understanding about the power of language and kind of what makes us human, the fact that we can use words to describe, to name. It's like some kind of a secret power that other animals, other beings don't have to create something with words to say the action is to say quite cool for me the first thing that comes to mind to
0: me when i'm reading this story is how powerful it is how dramatic and engaging like the moment i I read the first lines in the beginning god created the heaven and earth i'm like i'm sitting up right and the tone of this uh, first creation story is very dramatic Yet simple. This is a recurring theme that we're going to see throughout the book of Genesis. Yeah, yeah. This story looks to me to have been written to be read aloud and to listen to. We're going to see the differences as we go over the the stories of Genesis. This doesn't strike me as one of these uh, traditional oral stories that were later put down in writing. Mm. The deliberateness and the calculatedness (laughs) of the DT is mirrored in the deliberateness and the calculatedness of the story. This is a measured and planned story that people with an idea in the mind of what they were trying to accomplish in the story had the time and the resources
1: to write it down. This is this kind of story for me. Some of our, the misconceptions of this creation story is the fact that the creation is something out of nothing. Yeah, this creation story doesn't even talk about nothing. That <laughs> has to do with nothingness. Yes, it's more likely that they imagine some kind of a fog. They don't imagine stars in space. It's more probable that they imagine vast oceans, unending sea, blue in the waters and blue in the sky. Mm-hmm. So it, it can now imagine in your own imagination the creation story. At first there was chaos and then there was light. So immediately you imagine the Big Bang. you mean you imagine a dark black void, mm-hmm. some sort of a let it be light and suddenly there's light and there's this explosion of stars. We all seen these, uh, these movies. We all seen this cosmos. Movie. There's no cosmos there. <laughs> <laughs> the stars are not even objects far, far away. They're just lights.
0: God created the heaven and the earth. The earth, that's planet, earth. And the heaven, that's something uh, mystical, metaphysical. In the actual uh, version, the sky, it's not the heaven, it's the sky. And it's not even the earth, it's the land. This is the land, like Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. Like the surface that you are standing on. Maybe this is the reason that it survives to this day, because... You can apply it to wherever you are, and whenever you are, and bring in your own imagination into it,
1: and it works. Mm -hmm. The story works. Here, the dramatic effect of the story is not personified by a character. It's quite revolutionary to demand from the audience... Imagine the unimaginable. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the English translation, it says the Spirit of God floats above the water. In Hebrew, the word for spirit and wind are the same. It's the same word. It's more probable to me that when they said Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim, they probably said the wind of God. So even here, there's, it? it's some kind of abstractification. Abstractification? Abstractification, if this, this word exists, of... The God, because yeah, it's because not the wind is also abstract. Wind, yeah, wind is like the it's the most abstract thing <laughs> in the world. Yeah, it's like the limits of the abstract that you can imagine. <laughs> even back then, you know it exists. It moves, but it's transparent. So, <laughs> so a transparent God, it's some kind of a revolutionary cognitive uh, thing to me. Because up till now. People imagine gods as some kind of people they know or they can imagine, extrapolate their muscle, their their size, whatever. And now they say, no, the deity that you need to work and you need to uh, worship, the deity is transparent, invisible. And not only invisible in your day-to-day life. For example, uh, some Indian dude in uh, 1000 BC asked his priest, uh, where is Shiva? And he said, oh, you can't see Shiva, but he's there in this other realm, Olympus, heaven, later, whatever. Right. If you can make this cognitive jump from only imagining higher beings that look like you but different to higher beings that don't have any face.
0: There are several uh, very famous uh, divine stories. I think it's in the, also in the Epic of Gilgamesh and others where wind is something divine. But here the wind itself Is God The God is no longer Creating a divine wind The divine wind Is in itself God So that's
1: a step up in the evolution That's nice It's much more universal Mm -hmm. In different times, in different places People can project their own Thoughts and their own imaginations Into those stories So an evangelistic priest He imagines whether he wants it or not, uh, Carl Sagan's cosmos reenactions of the Big Bang. The imaginary world yes. that builds your consciousness, your ego in the Freudian sense, not your ego in like, yeah. you know, the macho sense, the way that you see the world and the way you imagine the world, with the yeah. words that comes to your mind are, are limited.
0: Today we can use you know uh, folders as uh, whatever symbolism or algorithm and stuff like that because this is because we live in a computerized world but 100 years ago 200 years ago you wanted to explain that you learned something new if you would say that you are downloading information in this kind of folder nobody would have the faintest idea what that means all this symbolism did not even exist Mm -hmm. their use of language and use of symbolisms and images was much more limited obviously yeah but if we try to imagine how people 1,000 years in the future how they will experience uh, their existence whatever it is it is impossible and when they will read our stories 1,000 years in the future they will have to work very, very hard to understand the limits of our own imagination here. We have to walk, and we sweat, and we have to go to the bathroom, and we can't just travel to some other galaxy just like that, and we can't change ourselves. We have, a, we have flesh.
1: <laughs> we make babies in the stomach. In the stomach. <laughs> in, the,
0: in the stomach. So, for example, when, uh, in a lot of uh, sci-fi movies, when, when a new being is created, it still has to go through the magic of the womb, something that we can't recreate, we can't fully understand. It has to go through impregnation because this is the limit of our imagination.
1: Exactly. And when we tell a story that it uh, occurs like 2,000 years in the future, we have to tell that story through humans. The beings that will be 2,000 years in the future from now won't be human at all. They will shit from their fingers, you know. (laughs) They won't have any sex or whatever. They will live in some kind of virtual... But our imagination, even now, is completely limited. So take it back to the story. Their limited imagination didn't have images of space, didn't have uh, day-to-day modern city life, science, education, blah, blah, blah. They didn't have it. They had only their whatever, farm, town, Mm.
0: This is very interesting. And it makes sense that, that this particular story was written after most or even all of the rest mm-hmm. of Genesis because this is a different uh, deity that is no longer local than tied to a place. Mm-hmm. On its way to becoming monotheistic, we'll see in the next episode that there's another deity that is very local. And once we get to the first Hebrews, it becomes a family god mm-hmm. that just like, helps you out. Mm. Uh, this is not the case in this story. Mm-hmm. And we know that the perception of the biblical deities, and, you know, deities in general, changed over time because of the circumstances of the people who wrote these stories over generations. You know, local gods, they stay where they are. And universal gods, they can travel with you wherever you go.
1: He can travel very, very well. You and can go Kansas and believe in it, and that's fine. And this god doesn't even have a name. The word for God is... El, a god in Hebrew, which was a god in the Canaanite uh, pantheon. Mm. There was a god named El. It's a common phenomenon that a name that is given to describe something becomes the name of the thing. It's like fridge. I think that's also like a company. Yes. That became like the word. In Israel, we had a a semi-socialist economy for uh, about uh, 40 years in in the beginning of uh, our country. We didn't uh, import a lot of cars. So the word for a four-wheel drive for us is Jeep. We say Jeep. Even a hammer, which is a different company. Hammer. Hammer. We call it Jeep. Right. So it's the same thing. There was a god named El, and the plural for this word is Elohim or Elim. Elohim. Gods. It's gods, basically. There's an archaeological remnant of some way of thinking that the forces of nature that control us has to be plural. to remember that those people lived in a polytheistic context, which means that their surroundings believed in other gods. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they deny the existence of other gods. It's just that they worship only one god out of those, a jealous god that doesn't want you to worship those others. But it's not that they don't exist. Yeah. Like the concept
0: of a one, all-powerful God that exists and all the other gods are lies. This is a concept that has yet to be conceived and yet to be implemented. This is an ongoing
1: centuries-long process. Yeah. It's not a monotheistic religion where you don't believe other gods exist. It's blasphemy. But... It is some kind of a proto monotheistic religion by the fact that they do worship only one God and they attribute the creation of the world to this God. So there's even a word for it, I believe. I don't remember the word right now, so it's some kind of a blah It's worship of only one God, while not denying the existence, of, the existence of others.
0: So about the context in which the story was written, this feels to me like a story that is meant to soothe, mm-hmm. to reassure, to, to give a universal character to what was once mm. a local deity. Yeah, We're going to have a lot of time to get into the history of what became the Holy Land as this uh, podcast uh, goes on. Mm-hmm. But the main things that we need to know now is that in the 800s BCE, there was, somewhat, uh, there was a somewhat uh, prosperous uh, Israeli kingdom in the northern Levant and the somewhat backwatery kingdom of Judah. To its south, the Israeli kingdom was destroyed And then the kingdom of Judah was vanquished And Jerusalem sacked And scholars believe That most of the stories were written Either before the destruction of Jerusalem Mm -hmm. Or after In exile Mm -hmm. And this uh, story fits uh, the perception Of being exiled From where you want to be And where your local deity Ruled And lost And now you need to be
1: comforted Mm -hmm. with this kind of story I imagine it like the opening sequence or some of the sequences later of uh, Space Odyssey 2001 by Stanley Kubrick it's an ancient story that doesn't follow the norms of the genre the opening sequence is monkeys it's something very strange and alienated apes it's very difficult to really project your own motivations yes. and fears. You have no one to aden- identify with. You can't tell them apart. You can't tell them apart even. It's very long. <laughs> it's amazing. To me. The conflict in this story is, is more in the subtext. and yes. the, the feeling yes. that it, make, it yes. makes you feel. Yes. The way that the, this sequence makes you feel with the music, with the anxiety, with the raw emotions... And I think this is the drama yes. in this story. In the creation story.
0: Okay, so let me talk a little bit about the Mesopotamian influences. The seven-day week mentioned in the story is a Mesopotamian invention that was canonized and u- universalized through this story, mm-hmm. which boggles the mind. Six days and one day of rest, the Sabbath. hmm but we are the only ones who are you know truly conserve <laughs> the actual story because we rest on the, the seventh day and yes. we start the work week on Sunday this is a sunday we are now recording on a sunday this is a regular work day
1: we call sunday first day the first day it oh, literally means first day
0: yes yom rishon and this is the story first day the second exactly. day the third day you guys have the day of the sun, the day of the moon, the day of a twig. She's a Nordish, uh, whatever, Tweed or something, Nordish uh, deity. You have uh, Odin's day, you have Thor's day. So this is not uh, according to the story, you guys straight away.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's start with day one. God brought the light. It was dark and scary before he turned on the light. It actually says light five times at the beginning. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. So it's really pushing that point home. Light. You have light. That's life. This is God. He gave
1: you the light. In Hebrew, it sounds to me more like a, a market a sell. Like uh, this potato is two dollars. Dollars, two dollars
0: potato. Two dollars <laughs> potato. <laughs> nah, nah. Separating. Uh, this is uh, for us. It is a high language.
1: Yeah, for us it's a high language, but it, uh, it's misleading that it's a high language. It's some kind of a, an illusion because we have modern words, so. Ancient words became more elitist, right? Because only the elite knew exactly. That. Uh-huh. I think the vocabulary pool of that era was pretty much thin. There weren't many words, first most, but they had the best words, but not so many. That's why they were the best now. Mm. Mm. Every writer writes after at least right. like 300 or maybe 500 years of written tradition. Right. Uh, in his in or her language. In, in his yeah. or her language. If you're English-speaking, probably Shakespeare. And, but the novels, the novels that... Mm. Um, this is very important what you're saying. Yeah. Right? The,
0: because they were basically the pioneers of the written tradition. Exactly. In that, in that specific area. The next line, God said, Elohim said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters
1: and let it divide the waters from the waters. The skies and the seas are the same. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty reasonable when you look at it. Yeah. Yeah. There waters is, and waters. Waters come down from the skies. Your existence is dependent upon the amount of water that comes out of the sky. And they change colors at the same time, which is pretty suspicious. When the sky are dark, the waters are dark. And when the skies are blue, the waters are blue. And so they probably are the same thing. In Hebrew, the word for water is maim. maim. maim like, like a maim. For, uh, Marcel, Marcel, Marcel Mersot. Marcel Mersot. Like a maim. The word for sky is sham maim. <laughs> sham... <laughs> means there. So imagine you have close water, you have far water, you have waters, waters over there. God didn't created water in this creation story. He just made a difference between water above and water below. God's action here is naming, giving order, not creating. It's not something out of nothing. The sky and the earth is something that is constant in their reality. It's something that is always there. Mm. It's like the base. Mm -hmm. So the action here is to divide between identical objects or things, you know. Unlike a regular conflict from many stories that we know, which, you know, you have a a character, a human character with, with, with motivations with some kind of uh, an obstacle in his or her life. Here, the conflict is you have a mess, you have chaos. So the conflict is to make order out of that mess. So again, it's not a creation story. (laughs) It's a story of uh,
0: rearranging. It's a decoration story. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like
1: you lived uh, for a long time,
0: whatever, in chaos (laughs) in your apartment. And now you're just like rearranging stuff. And, uh, you know, this is, I'm going to call this a sofa. And also, when God creates uh, the, the big light and names it uh, Sun, the Hebrew word is Shemesh. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to the Sun God in the Akkadian uh, mythology, Shamsh, Shamsh, something uh, of that sort, that was the yeah. Sun God. Yeah, Shams, sh-msh, sh-msh. Yes, there or are no Shemesh. vowels uh, in Semitic languages.
1: Yeah, I think the way that uh, language works is uh, the more ancient it is, it has more constant in it, consonant, consonant in it. It is much more harder to pronounce. So probably the higher classes will uh, pronounce it like the most uh, in the best way. Maybe it's like something of, (laughs) (laughs) it's more like a sound. And later, when it comes to the lower classes uh, in society, it became it. The vowels become much more free, so maybe it's like more shamash, shemish, shamsh. So
0: to your point about water over there, shemish, shamsh. Ish means fire, so you have fire, and you have fire over there, sham ish.
1: And shamash is also some kind of a matrity of the of the synagogue. Is mm. the guy that uh, arranges wow. the seats or something? I'm to, I'm not a religious uh, person, <laughs> so if you, there's Jews in the audience, uh, <laughs> feel free to uh, to correct us to f- make fun of it. By the way,
0: the the firmament also appears in uh, Mesopotamian uh, mythologies. They didn't create it out of nothing. Mm-hmm. They had the base of uh, Shamsh, mm-hmm. other gods, Tovavo, Yam, Yam also in the in gilgamesh it says in the gilgamesh tales it says that the world was created in six days so they uh, they had the base they rearranged it they gave it different names and on top of
1: that they started to
0: create things out of nothing
1: Mm -hmm. maybe there's some kind of an element i'm not sure if i totally believe it but maybe there's some kind of an element of reclamation of reclamation of the story appropriation of the story like uh, beings that were once deities, like Yam and Shamsh and Shemesh, are now just things that mm. exist in the creation of Elohim. Yes, gods. Yeah, that our that our
0: God created. Yeah, exactly.
1: It could be. It could be. It's more of an interpretation. I think it's more the fact that uh, it's some kind of a remnant of a period when an object was a deity. So the word for sun was not only a word to describe the sun, mm-hmm. it's a word that was given to the sun, God. Yes. The I sun guess. is a God. Yes, yes. yes so yes, when yes, you call the sun, sun, you're basically naming a God. So I think it's more like that. It was the Shemesh, Shams, the God of sun, and the sun. Yes, the same thing. And, and when the they same- stopped believed, believing in the God... Yes. As, as all gods know, once you stop believing them, they just disappear. <laughs> yes, but the sun stayed. The sun stayed because you can see, still see the sun.
0: Okay, so let's wrap up our first episode in this podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We discussed uh, the, the nature of this uh, deity, of this god that is uh, universal for its time. Abstract. Abstract. And, ha- and he created, reorganized the world through his speech, mm-hmm. which is uh, very distinct and also original. Inform- and very original and also can inform you of the success of uh, the people who were whatever, the descendants of the story, a.k.a. the Jews. And in the next episode, want to go through the creation story and see how the world was actually organized and created. And after that, we'll go through the second creation story, a story written by different people in a different place, attached to this one, and it's a very forgettable story. Different imagination also. Different imagination, different characters. So stick around for that. So if you enjoyed this episode, uh, be sure to follow us wherever you're catching this. It could be uh, the Apple Podcast, Spotify. We're on several platforms. Uh, and maybe you can give us a review, ...and Rank Us. This help other people discover this podcast. We're just starting out. We want to do it for ever and ever and ever. There are so many really, really cool stories to tell. We're going to go through the book story by story with this kind of thinking, reading the actual text in its actual context and contrasting that to how we remember it today and how that also informs us on this story because we can look from uh, from the outside and uh, have this uh, Martian perspective. And if you know uh, of other people who you, you think would be interested in this podcast, then uh, maybe you can uh, send them a link and, or uh, post on your social media. Anything will help. We'll appreciate it very, very much. So thank you, everybody, and we'll see you all in the next episode that breaks down.
1: How the world is created and organized. Bye,